Welcome to the History Tricks, where any resemblance to a boring old history lesson is purely coincidental. And here's your 30-second summary. Nine score and eighteen years ago, the Todds brought forth on this continent a young woman, conceived in Kentucky and dedicated to the proposition that not all potential husbands are created equal. Now she is engaged in a great public war, testing whether her reputation or any reputation so contorted and damaged can overcome. The history chicks are met on a battlefield of that great war. It is altogether proper and fitting that we should do this. The end. Let's talk about Mary Todd Lincoln. But first, let's drop her into history. In 1818, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, the modern Prometheus, is first published in London. Congress decided that the U.S. flag will have 13 red and white stripes and 20 stars. Felix Mendelssohn, age nine, performs his first public concert in Berlin. The Christmas Carol Silent Night is written and performed the very next day in Austria. Two English boxers are the first to use padded gloves. Illinois becomes the 21st state in the U.S., making that flag obsolete. Paul Revere, Abigail Adams, Queen Charlotte of Great Britain died. 1818 was a good year for several important births. Women's rights activists Lucy Stone and Amelia Bloomer were born. Civil rights activist Frederick Douglass was born. Writer Emily Bronte was born. And on December 13, 1818, the future Mary Todd Lincoln was born. Marianne Todd was born, like I said, on December 13, 1818 in Lexington, Kentucky. She was the fourth of six living children to Robert and Eliza Parker Todd. Now, both Ma and Pa were Lexington, Kentucky aristocracy. Um, the Todd and Parker families were kind of twisted together into this really cool dynasty tree. Both of Mary's grandfathers, who were cousins, helped to settle Lexington. They followed Daniel Boone's recently marked road that he had done in 1775. But its beginnings, the town was kind of a misnomer. It was a few cabins behind a fort, behind a stockade fence. Um, but they really helped to build the town. They were firmly entrenched in it. So, yes, Papa was the son of a rich man, one of the founders of Lexington, and had been well-educated at Transylvania University, a place, admittedly, that I take a picture of every summer on my way through. Like, it cannot be real. It cannot be real. Yes, it's real. It's old established, and it's named after this very foresty part of Virginia called the Transylvania Colony, but it throws me anew every year. You'd think I'd remember. I had to look it up, so I can imagine seeing it would be kind of cool. I was like, seriously? Really? Am I reading that right? Yeah. So anyway, Papa qualified as a lawyer at the tender age of only 20, but alas, there was quite a glut in the lawyering market around town, and the War of 1812 intervened, and he and three of his five brothers went off to fight. Mama's family, though not quite as rich, was probably at least in the 10%, if not the 1%. She was the oldest daughter in a large family whose father died when she was only six, leaving her mother, known to everyone in Lexington as simply Widow Parker, to live as a rich widow and like um, a city fixture for 50 more years. Mama's brothers, of course, got an advanced education, but Mama and her sister, Mary Ann, just went to the Lexington Female Academy, where they focused on penmanship, grammar, reading, writing, embroidery, and painting until the age of 12, when it was considered silly to educate a woman any further, so she'd better begin to learn to be a lady, so pay calls, look pretty, and catch a husband. Um, you know, tea parties, gossip. Cotillions. Cotillions. Conspicuous idleness reflected well on your male relatives. You are a trophy. It increased your husband's status. After all, there were servants to do the work. Note the term servant. There seemed to be this strange feeling in Lexington that if a family kept a small number of slaves, say 10 or 15, little enough so the master knew all their names, that was the guideline. Mm-hmm. Um, that this was just a household of servants. After all, we're not like those operations in the Deep South with hundreds of anonymous workers. Um, we didn't even beat our servants. Of course, no, but there was a place where you could have it done for a fee. So that's splitting hairs that 
uh, what a curious sort of. I completely agree. I'm, I kept reading. They're like, oh, they they didn't believe in importing slaves, but they didn't mind having them. Well, and I want to tell you this: you could see the Lexington slave market from the back windows of Mama's childhood home, near enough to poke them from the back fence if you had a mind to. Um, men of the town who had debts or died without a will, their slaves ended up here. Families split apart. The worst sort of human agony was taking place within sight of Mama's childhood home and hearing, I'm guessing. Oh, yeah. No kidding. It was so it was definitely a part of her life. So Papa, young man, Papa was struck down almost immediately, not by a British soldier, as his vanity would have you believe, but by pneumonia. And as soon as he was better, upon his return, he married his second cousin, Mama, at the end of 1812. You know, good breeding. Let's keep the good families intermarrying. Family lore said that he immediately then went off to serve in battle, but their son was born 10 months later. So I'm not quite sure how that lines up, if that's an accurate statement. But whatever they did, they set up household um, and as a beginning of a compound on the Widow Parker's property. Marianne, our subject, came along after two older sisters to a house where Papa was often away on buying trips for his dry good wholesaler business, which was falling on hard times by this year. Eliza really needed, because it was all those idle years, she really needed her mother to help her learn how to run the household. Grandma sent three slaves, a maid to do the cleaning, a young girl to mind the babies, and a cook that the family called Mammy Sally. And um, if not for Mammy Sally, I think Marianne would have been very lonely indeed because her older sisters kind of had this best friend thing with each other like Cassandra and Jane Austen did. Her brother that came right after her, Sound of Trumpets, Glory yeah, of Angels, <laughs> was born right, I mean, right after she was. Right after she was. Mm-hmm. Mama Eliza was on kind of a pattern of give birth don't wait very long, give birth again. By the time they were married for like 12 and a half years, they'd had seven children and she had been pregnant for the equivalent of five years total. Well, and I was reading somewhere that breastfeeding is not an infallible, <laughs> right? a traditional method of birth control, which will put your children approximately two years apart, but it was fashionable around then to have wet nurses. And here you had this whole cadre of, quote, servants that you could advertise for a new mother servant. Mm -hmm. I hate using that term. It's so ridiculous that I keep wanting to use it because just to show how ridiculous it is um, to come to your house and uh, act as wet nurse to your child. But then you don't get that protection of birth control. So right. Children end up spaced closer together. Haha, <laughs> vicious circle, I suppose. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. So, right after the boy, another boy who died as a baby, and then a younger sister who was named Anne. So, suddenly, Mary Ann was told her name was now just Mary. So, she <laughs> lost her name as well as her place as the youngest girl. I mean, for someone who liked attention, that was really being displaced was a bad thing. Now, she had neighbors and cousins. Don't get me wrong. She wasn't a Beatrix Potter sitting in her room all alone. But really, within the immediate family, she really just had Mammy Sally to be friends with. And Grandma up at the big house at the other end of the lot was one of her best friends, too. The worst change of all among all these changes was that Mama, directly after having that seventh child, succumbed to our old enemy, puerperal fever or childbed fever, treatment for which had not improved since Jane Seymour, Henry VIII's wife, had died of it 300 years before. I actually, I wrote down she died despite or with the help of three medical personnel who, you know, who gave her laudanum and mercury and bloodletting to try and get rid of this bacterial infection that none of that stuff would work. Yeah, followed by making you vomit. Like, let her die in peace. If you can't help, the whole thing. Well, they were being paid to help, so. They had to be seen to be doing things. Yeah, that would be my guess. Well, our little Mary must have been so bewildered and sad, but Papa set right away out to try to find another wife. The gossip mill all over Kentucky buzzed with that ill-breadness of the whole thing. A matter of only three weeks connected his name with a woman up in Frankfurt, the capital. Six months after Mama died, he uh, was clerk of the Kentucky legislature, technically engaged to this woman named Elizabeth Humphreys, um, practically over the hill, old at 25, although she was really 28. 
I was going to say 25 or 27 or 28, you know, a lady can change her age. Well, his, um, his wooing was so clumsy that it makes me roll my eyes. Like he would use such loving phrases as, you know, my situation is irksome. (laughs) I'm like, and, and I need to complete my domestic circle as quickly as possible. Jeez, thanks a lot. Yeah, I'd love to be your wife. <laughs> but the stepmother's mother was, you know, a grand dame and knew what was proper. And so they weren't allowed to get married because of society until one and a half years after Mama had died. That's the proper time for such a thing. This this six-month thing was ridiculous and she wasn't going to allow it happen. Mary got a new ma, as her stepmother was called by everyone. <laughs> yeah, and she wasn't exactly this sweet woman either. Um, Mary and Betsy started clashing almost immediately. I wanted to look at it from Betsy's point of view. She's moving into this house with six children. She's living in the shadow of her mother-in-law, who's the mom of the the wife who died, you know, their mother. So it's it couldn't have been a really easy situation to move into. And uh, she wasn't exactly shy and timid and... The widow Parker wasn't exactly shy and timid either. So it, it was probably difficult. Well, and Mama, original Mama, had been very young when she got married and pretty affectionate. And that house had really not been that formal. And mm-hmm. now it was. And so manners were enforced. Behavior was not tolerated. It was a new and harsh regime as far as family number one uh, was concerned. So everybody kind of immediately started clashing with her. And eight-year-old Mary you know, she'd do things like put salt in her stepmother's coffee or um, she would show up with her cousin and she had made a hoop skirt. And that's like little girls wanting to wear lipstick, not what you do until later. Leapfrogging into, you know, the mature fashions of the time. So they made these hoop skirts out of willow sticks and put them under their skirts to make bell looking skirts and came swooshing into the kitchen and they're ready to go to church. And it's late and it's time to go and here is this fool with these skirts and there was like a fracas because she made her take them out and there was tears and you know people that are eight dramatic dramatic (laughs) and so you know things like that caused the stepmother to call her the limb of satan which i don't think was quite what was necessary no that limb of satan oh okay but Betsy also started having children of her own, which took a little bit of the attention away from Mary. But on the flip side, it took the attention away from Mary. Well, Papa gave up his dry goods business and concentrated on politics and manufacturing. He'd ultimately, then we're jumping ahead a tiny bit just to get this all in one paragraph, he'd ultimately become both the president of a bank and the owner of an extremely profitable mill. But for now, in our story, it means Papa was gone for about a third of the year and did not really interfere with his wife's domestic sphere, except in one thing, in one (laughs) important thing. Betsy pretty much picked up Eliza's birth pattern, I guess is the best way to put it, and started having, I mean, he's only home for, what, two or three months? And she's pregnant again, and she has a baby, and then he's home, and she's pregnant again, and has another baby. Oh, that's not what I meant, but okay. Oh. (laughs) Okay. Maybe he interfered with two things. (laughs) Well, what I meant was that he insisted, insisted that his daughters were to receive a genuinely good education, because up in the capital, he'd been surrounded by men who had the view that educated women made better wives and mothers, and were just an asset to the country. For that very reason. So some of Mary's friends went off to this finishing school to learn to dance and which fork to use and embroidery and the like, at least until they were 12. You can remember Mama's education. So that's the one that some of Mary's friends went for. But Mary was sent to wards for a thorough and actual genuine education. Math, science, geography, French, history, reading, writing, painting, and plain sewing, which was considered quite startling. So embroidery too. Don't get me wrong. We're not completely crazy. But if you needed to sew a button on, by goodness, you were going to learn to sew a button on. Because what if you need to do it one day and you don't know how? How do you darn a sock? Well, the ladies up at the finishing school are not going to be able to help you. But these girls at wards would be. The girls at this school were also taught to cook out of a recipe book, though probably it was assumed not one of them would ever have to use this. Still, better to have it and not need it. In this time and in this place, 99% of girls got married. Yeah, I would imagine that being able to cook something would um, up their value. You wouldn't think so? 
Mm, I think setting foot in your kitchen at all would be like, well, why can't you keep a servant? Oh, I don't know. I don't know either. I just, yeah. Just the fact that it was talked about with such like they were actually taken into a kitchen. I thought it would be appear like progressive, you know. Um, and she also learned French. Papa paid extra for the French lessons. Well, Mary loved school. Progressive, conventional. <laughs> Pay me no, never mind. She loved it so much that she used to take off right after breakfast with a piece of toast in her hand and go running down the street to school. And she was once detained at around 13 by the town's night watchman who thought she might be eloping and was going <laughs> to hand her back over to her father. Like, why else would a girl be running? (laughs) When Mary's father was home, Mary found a unique way to be a part of his world. A unique way, among all his children, politics. Papa hosted quite a few notable men in their house. Henry Clay was one, the main one, uh, a man who had presidential aspirations, who'd been a senator. And he was quite an influential man. To have him comfortably coming to your house at all times, I mean, that was quite a coup. So their family was very well connected. Mary read the newspapers and listened to the arguments about banking reform and elections and slavery. And her father was of the position that slavery was an institution that was holding back commerce and was holding back the country. Um, He never really did declare his position. He did disavow being an abolitionist, exactly. But in fact, both grandmas freed their slaves at their deaths. So like you said earlier, like Lexington had a weird relationship to slavery. It's like they need it, but they don't like it in the global kind of. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what she learned in her family, too. Um, it, it, nevertheless, you know, Papa had his socks washed and meals cooked and babies rocked by enslaved people his whole life. So there's a contradiction there. But Mary began to develop her own opinions. And one night, ooh, I love this story. One (laughs) night, she discovered Mammy Sally, their cook, handing food and supplies out the door to escaped slaves on their way north. Evidently, there was a symbol painted on the fence. Can you imagine the trouble Mammy Sally was risking? Yeah, and it, but it wasn't like an official stop on the Underground Railroad. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. no, but it was just commonly known that they could stop there and, and get some food. And it was a, a welcoming house in the background because Papa didn't know about it. Mama didn't know about it when she was live. And Mama Betsy didn't know about it. Well, the kids did. Mary and the other kids never told. They always wanted to help. But Mammy Sally would say, if they see a white arm come out of here... They're going to run away. It's better that you not get involved. You got to let me hand it out. You can make up the packages with me, but you can't. You can't be further involved than that. Uh, Nine-year-old Mary took so hard against candidate for president Andrew Jackson that she refused to go to his speech and reception and had it out with a fully grown man in the street who was a supporter of his. I love this. (laughs) Nine years old. Oh, she was so spunky. I mean, it's kind of. I. I don't want to boil anything, but it's funny that this behavior that's so precociously adorable at nine later comes to bite her in the butt, you know? Okay, here's another bit of precocious. Now, she's 14, so it's not like as adorbs, but it was still shocking and everyone thought it was hilarious. Uh, At 14, Mary had gotten a new pony and she rode her pony straight out to Henry Clay's house. Remember, prominent, eminent man in the town. This isn't like her uncle or something. He's he's entertaining a group of reasonably prominent men at his house. She demanded his opinion of that pony. Um, <laughs> he had a house full of dudes there that all came out to look at the pony. She held forth on politics, said she'd marry a man who'd be president one day, said, you know, if you weren't married already, I'd wait for you. And then she went home. And he, he's just laughing like, well, when I get there, you'll certainly be a guest up at my White House. You know? <laughs> Because she was a daughter of a prominent man, it made it, you know, a little more eccentric and funny. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And so shortly after that, because the school she was in only went up to a certain grade, um, at 14, she didn't stop her education like her mother had done, but she went on to Madame Mantel's School for Young Ladies. It was a boarding school a whole two miles from their house. Almost to get out of the way of stepmama, I think, more than oh. she came home on weekends, but yeah, definitely. Mantel's was run by actual aristocrats who had fled France during the revolution. 
Um, so it there, Mary's French that she had been learning all along became extremely fluent. Um, she acted in plays. She read more. She wrote more. She fine-tuned her gift of mimicry. This was like one of the things in her arsenal of entertainment and fighting is that she would mock people, you know, accurate depictions of them. Um, but the, one of the things that this school did for her was it kind of upped her level of snobbishness. I guess to a degree that was more of an aristocrat standard, you know, a French aristocrat. She loved it there. Well, she was living with Madame Charlotte Victoire Leclerc Montel. Yeah. Who literally had to bug out uh, right after, uh, or I'm sorry, right before King Louis the Sixteenth, Marie Antoinette's husband was killed. Mm-hmm. That's when they left. Right. Right in time. I'm impressed. I'm just sitting here impressed that you said her whole name. <laughs> well, I'm just saying if you have aristocratic pretensions, that's that's kind of where they came from. Yeah. Okay, so the school building is long gone, people in Kentucky, but the Kentucky Historical Society just, I mean, just May 22nd of this year. So like uh, 10 days ago. Mm-hmm. As of recording, <laughs> um, it's at the median of Montel Park on Richmond Road. I'm going to go look for that this year and I'll send you another picture. But I've put a picture of it in the Pinterest board. Oh, good. Will you um, hashtag it uh, History Chicks Field Trip for Instagram? Sure. And anybody that wants to put anything, summer is the time. If you go somewhere cool or somewhere of historical significance um yes tag us with history chicks field trip on instagram and we would love to share that with everybody and we had somebody put a picture of the eads bridge which is where madam cj walker used to walk along with her clean wagon of laundry in st louis so and we had somebody else send pictures of their children at versailles so Mm -hmm. you never know where yeah if you search the hashtag um they all pop up and it's really fun to watch people at all these really cool places. The Ward School, where she had gone first, is on the walking tour of Lexington. Nice. Maybe I'll, I'll see if I can pull off people going on the walking tour of Lexington. How close are you? Uh, my mother-in-law lives outside of Georgetown in an old church. So mm, I, I know not Kentucky geography. I would say 20 minutes will get you to Lexington and an oh. hour and something will get you to Louisville. Oh, we're pretty close. And then Bardstown is where the Museum of Alcohol is, which was very easy to get people to go to. So we'll see. (laughs) see. five years at this school, she had more school than almost any girl of her acquaintance. And her stellar performance was just, oh, that's just fine. That's just fine. No, I read somewhere that a girl doing well in school was as irrelevant of an accomplishment as a boy who could cook. Curious, interesting, absolutely not applicable to real life. So that's a bummer, but Mary often said in later years that she found her true home during the years at Montel School where she and 14 other girls lived in this family atmosphere and her stepmother's house was just a house. In a bit of irony, they had moved from the old house when they needed more space and the second house and not her childhood home is now the Mary Todd Lincoln Museum in Lexington. Right. It, yeah, she really didn't live there very, I mean, except on school breaks. Um, There was a cholera outbreak. You know, she was locked in the house for that, quarantined. But for the most part, she really didn't live there. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't go there because they have a lot of um, really interesting things on display. That first house was demolished a long time ago. It's gone. Yeah. There's no, there's nothing left. So what was, what was a young lady to do when she left school? N- nothing. Not volunteering, not reading novels. That's so not done. Not doing anything domestic. Um, So basically what you did is you put as much money and thought into your dresses and hats and jewelry that your father and or husband could stand financially. So can I please tell you about an aspect of Lexington that I just found fascinating. Okay. It seemed to me after reading some descriptions of it, that it was like the wild west, but with much nicer weapons and outfits. The, uh, the boy half, the masculine half was nearly always seriously into the drink 
with the notable exception of Mary's own father, by the way, who nevertheless had a slave who was famous for his epic mint juleps and who, who imported quantities of alcohol up from New Orleans to serve at his parties. But men were judged on how well they could hold their drink. That's Wild West to me, but it was super violent. Young men carried these decorative daggers. Older men had swords built into their canes. A slight to your honor will get you a knuckle sandwich or a missing eye. Um, dueling was illegal but acceptable. Um, you could get shot for insulting somebody. And everyone that saw it happen would be like, oh, what did he say? Oh, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> it, just, you know, a quick picture for what it's worth because – we, I know we were going to mention this later in media, but I have to now. Um, Roots has was on recently, and there was a duel scene in it, which, you know, we're like, oh, duel, two guys, whatever. It was so bloody. It was so violent. It just puts a different spin on it when you say it, you know? This isn't just the whatever you call riffraff or whatever. This isn't just the low taverns. This is like, you know, you could be at someone's house and you emerge outside and have a like a throwdown <laughs> in the yard. But I'm not saying that they weren't intelligent. Many no. were well read. They've all, you know, they've been to university. They've mm -hmm. read the classics, but just there was this like macho undercurrent. And as far as people on the East Coast were concerned, this was the Wild West. I mean, I don't know if you've seen Last of the Mohicans, but he constantly refers to going west to Kentucky. Gosh, I love that movie. I need to watch that again. <laughs> I am trying to think. I mean, I, can, I have the image in my head, but I don't think I saw it. Well, there's a connection to this subject because... Was that Daniel Day-Lewis? Uh-huh. He oh, also okay. played Lincoln in the recent movie. But yeah, he... Woo! Hearts a flutter. My friend, hearts a flutter. Not, well, not in Lincoln. <laughs> um, I would Google him right now. My laptop is right next to me, but I won't because we need to get on with Mary's life. <laughs> well, so at 18, after a, an extremely contentious and very short period of time with her at home with her stepmother, Mary chose to go visit her older sister, Elizabeth, and her husband, Ninian Edwards. That is a name you will not hear anymore. Yeah, hipsters don't do it. Ninian. <laughs> Ninian. Uh, up in Springfield, Illinois, that was the capital. I mean, it had just become the capital a few months before Mary got there. But nevertheless, um, Ninian, I just got to say it again, had all the up-and-comers at his house. And her sister Elizabeth taught her to waltz, which was brand new out here in the West. Young Mary was short and plump, much to her dismay, and um, had a very pretty face and bright blue eyes. And she was a little too witty and educated for a lot of the men, which... I think is probably a nice, self-selecting, helpful filter. Husband wise, yo. I mean, get out if this. If I bother you, goodbye. Well, she had quite enough bows to be getting on with. Oh, I, I had this my uh, one time when we were first married. One of my husband's bosses took him aside and said, "Sit her down and tell her to zip it. Her mouth is going to get her into trouble." Is what this guy said to my husband, who at the time just laughed. <laughs> you know? Whoa! I know my mouth's going to get me into trouble. Now, see, if only you'd lived in Kentucky, <laughs> they would have gone outside and settled that. Right then and there. Well, it was his boss. So if you killed him. I seriously don't think it mattered. How durst you insult my women folk? Yeah, right. <laughs> well, wow. I, I don't like to think about that. Wow. Well, in short, young Mary was having super fun at Elizabeth's house. It was her first taste of freedom. But Papa had insisted this was only a visit. He was sort of what's the word I'm looking for, humiliated, I think, that a slightly older sister had moved out, not straight to her husband's house, as she should have, but off gallivanting at her sister's. And then the second daughter is following suit. It was not looking good for his family, you know, keeping his family together and in Lexington. So Mary had to go back and sort of scandalize Papa further by getting work at Ward School as an assistant teacher to the youngest children. You know, and we say this, this going back and forth um, between Lexington and Springfield, it was a two-week trip. Yep. It, you took a train to, to Frankfort, Kentucky, then a stagecoach to Louisville, and then steamboat up to St. Louis, and then back into a stagecoach to Springfield. I wrote that all down, too. She had to be chaperoned. Like, Papa went only so far, and then, you know, she was met up by somebody else in the family, a man who took her the rest of the way. Your, your cousin, your boy cousin could be a chaperone and you could also marry him if it came to it. 
Like her parents were, I think, second cousins. I don't think they're first cousins, but but whatever her plans, and it looks like she maybe was going to try to use teaching to become independent and move out, which is just radical for the time. Or she was going to use teaching to get out of the house so she didn't have to sit around watching Betsy. Well, that's kind of what I meant. Independent, like get the heck off me. Oh, I was thinking that because one of the things that I was reading, there was a chance that she was trying to get the money so she could get herself back up to Springfield and she didn't have to rely on Papa. Oh, well, her sister invited her back permanently um, because sister number two got married. And so there was now room and money, et cetera. Oh, she couldn't pack quickly enough out of stepmama's house back to the business at hand. So Mary intended to be great. And in this time and place, your path was very limited to hitching your wagon to the right star. You know, women aren't going to be great. That's just how it it was as far as she's concerned. But she still had that old dream of the White House, of course. But any thoroughly grand ambition would do for her. So again, not exactly the bell of the ball because, okay, imagine if Scarlett O'Hara had actually said everything she thought instead of keeping it all inside. <laughs> that is what you're looking at. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. But she, I, I think her level of popularity in Springfield was a little bit higher than it was in Lexington. Well, she, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, she, and she, maybe it was just the time in her life and the lack of, you know, a Betsy. But she did, she went to dances and weddings, although she called weddings crimes of matrimony. Mm. Ooh. So. I don't know about hitching her wagon there. I wouldn't be surprised that many women regarded marriage as a necessary evil. Oh, yeah. Because what else are you going to do? Let Papa buy your dresses the rest of your life and be subject to a wife that might not be your own mother being the boss of you in the house until you were 40 or 50? Yeah. No. Maybe it was the lesser of two evils. Uh, That's sad to think about, but that was our economic reality for a very long time. Mm Mm-hmm. So um, she did have some serious prospects. All politicians, including one Stephen Douglas, we'll meet him again later, and Abraham Lincoln, law partner of one of her many cousins, who said, awkward as he was, Miss Todd, I wish to dance with you in the worst way. And then they did. And she said, well, you certainly dance with me in the worst way. I know that's the lore of how they met. But the chances were greater that they had run into each other in some social environment at some because they did have those connections. Yes. No. 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 I'm not, I'm not saying that's how they met. That's just yeah. um, the opening volley in the courtship. I think. But yeah. he was more on than she was uh, at first. You know, he would sit by her, all mesmerized and kind of unable to break away. Like she pretended not to see it because that's what a proper lady would do. But it amused everyone else. Go she's ahead. at five two. You know, and he's at six four. You know, she's very refined and it, and he's very rough around the edges. You know, he was thirty one. She was twenty one. It was just very much physically. You know, they're polar opposites. So to watch them must have been very humorous. Now Abraham's background. Uh, Do we really have to go into this? Okay, Americans (laughs) learn this every February in school from about the age of five. Right. Hmm. So for our international friends or those who have forgotten, I'm going to do a tiny little speed round and then we'll simply provide you a link to a biography um, in both the show notes and on the Pinterest board because this should be old news. He has the born in a log cabin. But he really was. Like companies always say, we started in a garage and some really were. Well, he really was. He lost his mother early, ended up with a stepmother he loved and a sister he loved. He had, you know, some loving members of his family. He wasn't abandoned, perhaps, in the way that Mary had been emotionally. He learned to read and write while working hard, you know, reading while plowing, studying by the fireplace. He was largely self-taught. I have learned that word. It is an autodidact. I am one myself, I think. I think I'm one myself. I think most people are who listen, I would guess. I would guess so. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, Honest Abe, you know, the reputation that we all learn, uh, walked miles to return change from a customer. He became a merchant, a postmaster, a surveyor, and then a lawyer. And he served four terms in the Illinois State Legislature as a Whig. That's a party we don't see too much anymore. W-H-I-G. He opposed slavery from way back and advocated for the resettlement of slaves in Liberia in Africa. His whole party kind of figured that was the kindest thing because what was there for them in this country? Their point was, let's find them a place where they're not going to be subjected to the treatment that they would be if they were if they stayed here. So, right. So I don't think it was like mean, but it was it it might have been viewed that way from from here from 2016, you know. Mm hmm. 
So uh, he was not refined at at all. I love this quote from him. Why, you're the first man I ever knew what wore his Sunday clothes every day. <laughs> not much of a business type of man. He was gawky. He was just as unsmooth as you could. I mean, he's the polar opposite of smooth. Yeah. Uh, and you know what? We think of um, uh, Abe Lincoln, like the pictures of him, like in his presidency, you know, after the everything that happened during the war. Um, and he's not that attractive. But if you look, I'm this is totally superficial. I know. And this is Abe Lincoln we're talking about. We shouldn't be talking about his looks, but I'm gonna. Um, <laughs> he wasn't that bad. He remind a young Abe Lincoln reminded me of a young Alan Alda. Oh, you know what? I can see that. Yeah, and he was, and he was one of those people, and that you meet them, and you might not physically think that they're, you know, whatever, not that striking or whatever, and then they start speaking, and suddenly they become really beautiful in your eyes. He was that guy. Somehow their minds were a perfect fit. They, poetry and politics is the main thing that they love to talk about. <laughs> Although Abraham Lincoln thought women should have the right to vote, which shocked Mary, who thought that was just too far. <laughs> you know, she believed women should use their influence instead of voting. Eventually, through the course of a couple of years, they began to be known as a couple around town. Her family had a problem with this. This rustic. I mean, who are his people? You're going to tie yourself to a bumpkin? Like, come on, wake up. Just not our type, dear. The pressure. I mean, the pressure of her family was great. And maybe the knowledge, maybe... The knowledge that once you were married, you had a narrower life to fit into. I don't know. The combination of those things caused them to break up. And it was the talk of the town. It was. Well, he did stand her up. You know, the final thing, he'd stealed her up for a party and she was tired of waiting. He was working. I mean, it wasn't that he was just slow. He was working. And so she went. And when he got there, she was flirting. So there's quarreling ensued and nobody quarreled quite like Mary. So she told him to, she kind of told him to hit the road and he hung his head low and he followed the orders of her, which kind of spiraled him into a situational depression. He missed work. He didn't eat. He lost his oomph. Um, the only thing missing from my own heartache stories was ice cream and liquor, which he didn't do. But uh, people said he said he was the most miserable man living. And meanwhile, she called the guy up off the bench and kept going. <laughs> yeah, I know. She reopened her Match.com account is what I put. <laughs> well, though, um, town matchmakers or mischief makers, I don't know what to call them, kept throwing them together at parties because they're like, no, 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 no. You know, she often talked about him. Let's just get this come on this is ridiculous so their friends put them back together um i think what cemented them there was a project they began uh writing anonymous letters to the editor that were published in the local paper about what they called a rascally democrat and it led to two things a duel with swords <laughs> that abraham lincoln was supposed to fight uh thankfully negotiated out at the last minute, uh, or Mount Rushmore would look very different. Oh, he practiced. He practiced with his sword. Oh, I'm, and I'm still remembering this scene in the new roots because it's it's so much bloodier than the original. Now, every time we say duel, that's why I'm going to remember the like this reality of it. I, I like thinking of it in romantic terms. Before. I like thinking of it like Princess Bride. Like, I am not actually left-handed, you know, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um so the other good thing to come out of this besides the canceled duel um hooray was an actual marriage it it was no more time than getting a ring and getting a license really her family had less than a week's notice it was probably pretty wise on her part because she knew elizabeth was just gonna throw a fit i thought this was over you, it was over you got you were done I, I don't see this happening so just wait until the last minute well, her two sisters that were there said her wedding cake is still warm. This is too much haste. Her sister did host the dinner or the wedding breakfast, as they called it. Uh -huh. um, no parents. She had borrowed her second sister's white dress to wear. And whichever guest could make it to her sister's parlor on short notice were the guests. So um, how about that? But Mary Todd was now Mrs. Abraham Lincoln. This is probably a good place to take a break. And when we come back, we'll hear what happens after marriage. And 
and we are back. Mr. and Mrs. Lincoln, or rather, Mr. Lincoln and Molly, as he called her. I know. Wasn't that cute? You know, I still call my own husband Mr. Graham. I love that. Um, We should note here that Mary Lincoln never went by Mary Todd Lincoln, despite the the title of our actual episode, um, she went by Mrs. Abraham Lincoln or Mrs. A. Dot Lincoln if she was writing, you know, to a merchant or whatever. Yeah, there's no Mary Todd Lincoln. Nope. So they moved into the Globe Tavern in Springfield for $8 a week. That's about 225 a week. There is, on the same street now, a Globe Tavern where chicken fingers will set you back about 8 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> but somehow I do not think it's the same place. No, I don't. Their room was only 8 by 4 14. Oof. That's it. They got a room. Um, they got meals and some washing. I love that. Some washing. Like what washing was not included? I, I guess maybe smalls. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they only got a gallon of water or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, anyway, Abraham had to go out on the circuit right after they were married. So here's Mary alone living in one room of a mostly male boarding house eating meals at the common table downstairs. You know, what are you going to do? You can go watch the trials at the courthouse down the street, I guess, or wander around downtown. But methinks that was a pretty boring time. No, and I wonder, I never found this, and maybe you did, what Elizabeth thought. You know, the first place they move into is this boarding house. And it's like, that's exactly what I thought was going to happen to you, Mary. I don't know, though. It seems to me, just from um, some mentions throughout my reading, that that was kind of like a couple going out and getting an apartment. Yeah, I got that impression, too. You'd get Ikea furniture in an apartment right when you get married, and that's kind of what they did. I don't think it was shameful or anything. No. Okay. But it was kind of shameful at the time to walk around with your baby belly showing, <laughs> which put her farther into confinement because she did get pregnant fairly quickly. Yeah, like days after they were married, I think, just based on the fact that her first son was born in the boarding house nine months-ish after their wedding day, where all the sounds carried from downstairs and next door and the street. So I'm guessing the sounds would go the other way, too. You would think. Uh, so she named her son Robert Todd Lincoln after her papa, and the only one of her sisters to do that. Mm-hmm. And she named him, not Abe. She was the responsible for naming the kids, all of them. Well, papa, whose own last child had just been born. How's that for a little generational mix-up? <gasps> He came to visit, and I don't know if it was the namesake thing or dismay at how this daughter of his was living. I just don't know. But Papa made some arrangements financially that allowed the Lincolns to move to their own house. Uh, It was a five-room house, white, with green shutters at the corner of 8th and Jackson, which is still there, much bigger and grander than it was. Mm -hmm. Uh, We'll talk about that part later. Um, It's free to tour. So head on over there. Um, Abe was trying to get elected to Congress and had set up a local law office. And weirdly, his marriage made his opponents accuse him of being the aristocratic candidate. He, the man who'd actually lived that myth of being born in a log cabin. So (laughs) No kidding. That's awesome. He actually was able to make a little bit of money because um, Papa Robert had him doing some collections for him and told him to keep it. Yeah, yeah. He just made some different arrangements. I know. That was like, that's huge, I thought. You know, a huge concession to, okay, I'm agreeing with this marriage and whatever. Well, and it also preserved your son-in-law's dignity as a man. Like, here's some work you can do for this money. Right. It wasn't just a gift. So Mary got to keep house. She loved being busy. Um, But her, I thought this was funny. She's like, I have no idea what to do with this garden. So her sister, Frances, sister number two, came over and planted flowers all over because she had filled up her own yard and had the itch to come over and mess with Mary's. And Mary is like, regard your canvas, (laughs) proceed with whatever it is you want to do out there. That's what my mother-in-law did for her yard when she moved into a new house. She turned it over to me. Ooh, that's cool. And you liked it? It was fun? Oh, yeah. I did it at her uh, house she had before. And then I did it when she moved my mother-in-law lives three blocks away from me. Um, I mean, my mother-in-law lives three blocks away from me. And so when she moved here, I, I did it again. It was fun. It was totally fun. I loved doing it. Well, you can certainly come over here and do my foundation plantings. I, I would love to. Since I Actually, can't. I would just put all hydrangeas because they grow so good in your soil. You should see them. You should see them. I should take a picture. The rain. We have had rain. People, we have had rain for months. I don't even know. Our poor basement is just full of water, but the hydrangeas are loving it. So they're epic this year. Mm. Okay. Well, so much. I got to get back to Mary, but so much of what you read from the perspective of later from people with an interest in blackening her name, spoiler alert, 
Um, they'll tell you this time in Springfield was contentious and troublesome and brought with angst. So Abraham was hardly home for half a year, for one thing. So there's a built-in source of stress. Honestly, I'm kind of finding this household a lot like mine. For one, Mary couldn't keep a servant. Um, It's not, though, like she's Emily Gilmore firing a servant every day. She certainly did try to keep costs down, but the local girls often took the, quote, easier jobs over at the clothing factory. Like, why be subject to a mistress and have wacky hours when you could just go over and work at the factory? That's, That's kind of saying something for servant work, though, when the mill was the soft option. Yeah, and at, at this point, when we say servant, she was paying them. Yes, they're actual servants now. Not Lexington servants, which no. should be a thing. Actual servants. <laughs> she had some doozies there at the bottom of the barrel. Um, one who used to let her men friends in through the downstairs window. If you can imagine, your husband's out of town. You wake up and there's strange male voices coming from downstairs. And you have two children in the house. Well, yeah. I guess just one child at this point. But yikes. So the staff was fluid, I guess you'd say. That's a very good way to put it. And to adding to it is that she wasn't afraid to let them go because she wasn't afraid to do any of the chores herself. Well, she liked to be busy. Like I said, like, you know, thank goodness at last after so much idleness, she has stuff to do. Yeah. She really liked it. When Abraham was home in town, she'd meet him at the front door and they'd walk in hand in hand. And this is my favorite thing about Abraham Lincoln ever, ever, ever. And I was telling my little son this too. If Abraham were in a meeting and he heard thunder, he would pack up his papers and excuse himself politely and grab his hat to go home because he knew Mary was afraid of thunder, which is about the sweetest thing I have ever heard. Oh, my gosh. He really loves her. I did not come across that. That one's new to me. Well, their son, Edward, was born in 1846, and Mary and Abe were seen as super indulgent parents oh absolutely she was like the uh stereotypical soccer mom no offense to soccer player moms but she was in the kid's life you know she was she was helicoptering them big time she was playing with them she made sure they were having fun i mean this is an era where children are seen and not heard and Mm -hmm. she's interacting with them all the time she threw them these lavish birthday parties that would just blow everybody's mind. And she loved it. She'd do everything for it. Well, both of them, I think, were very reluctant to punish, shall we say, unless it was absolutely (laughs) necessary. And they were totally comfortable with levels of noise that caused a lot of the little neighbors to love hanging around at the Lincoln's house. There was a menagerie there, for one thing. Any old kitten or frog or turtle or lizard or any manner of creature that anyone brought home and their mother said they couldn't have ended up at the Lincoln's house. She was that mom. I think she's kind of, um, the way she's parenting seems more modern to me. Oh, like, yeah. It's kind of like Elizabeth Cady Stanton. Yes. You know, her parenting style was just like, involve, everything is educational, whatever you're doing, and just super involved in them and letting them experiment and do anything. And And if people got dirty, well, you know... Things get dirty. The end. That's the world that we live in. (laughs) Like, it it wasn't cause for freaking out. No, not at all. One of the neighbors at this point reported that they never saw a more affectionate couple than the Lincolns. Now, they had their disagreements, like anybody. (laughs) Like, okay, this one I can totally understand, and it was misinterpreted. Um, Abraham gets in this habit of getting into his own head and zoning out. So he'll be sitting by the fire and then he'll just be staring straight ahead thinking of something. And she kept trying to talk to him, kept trying to talk to him. And he is like, nothing. And so she slung a log at him, but it wasn't at him. It was toward him and it hit the ground and made a noise. And then he woke up. Oh, sorry, dear. What? (laughs) So if you just saw her sling a log at him, she would look like, what the heck? She's throwing it, you know. There was another occasion when he came bursting out of the back door and she came bursting out of the back door with, as they said, a knife. That seems alarming. (laughs) A little bit. Worse than a log. But then the neighbor said, then he turned around and whooped her buttocks. They both (laughs) laughed and ran back inside. So I don't know that that wasn't, she, he probably messed with her while she was chopping something and she chased him out. He probably like pinched her booty or something. Yes, probably. It was a jokey thing. Yeah. There were serious arguments like anyone. She was volatile and he would just like walk out. 
Yeah, so it wasn't all sweetness and light, but neither was it a hellhole as it was portrayed later on either. Do you know what I mean? Uh, mm-hmm. Well, so Mary was so frustrated at his manners. Table manners were easy to instill in small children, but the husband would boarding house reach, if you know what I mean, like just mm-hmm. give me those tatoes or whatever, you know, and yeah. he would pick things up with his fingers and he answered the door in his shirt sleeves all the time. And one time he literally came outside in what was described as jean trousers about 18 inches too short with only one suspender on (laughs) which is way beyond the holy underwear that our husbands won't throw away (laughs) because at least nobody can see that but like how are you getting this man elected to office if we show up looking like a hobo everywhere you're not so she took all her genteel upbringing and kind of imparted etiquette lessons on him to kind of help smooth him out around the edges now she had seen i don't know if you talked about this but when she met him she saw potential right so this is her polishing up that potential which you know that seems like a pretty modern thing too you know i think she was very impressive as far as i'm concerned at this point she's running that family in the house pretty much by herself with mm-hmm. no servants i mean i don't have any servants but neither did mary have a dishwasher so i think it evens out yeah um she still found time to play and when abraham was home she would read newspaper articles and summarize them for him and they'd have rousing discussions and not many wives could even hold their own this way they hadn't had the education they weren't prepped for this and she was and that's what they did in their courting. You know, they started off as, you know, friendly, you know, political conversation. And then they heated it up to passionate com- political conversation. So it's it's been a long-term thing. They always talked about it. They probably never even thought twice that it was different. Well, she advised him on his work, too. And what's more, he listened. So that's a good partnership. Now, they didn't really have people over casually to dine. They did have dinner parties. But, you know, just like now, it was much prep, much cleaning of things and borrowing of China and this and that. But they didn't really have people over casually. It might have been the table manners. It might have been the noise or all the animals. I just don't know. But she did give some great parties to increase Abraham's visibility. What we might see as, you know, networking. Right. Um, My husband's going to be president. You know, she would say, and Abraham would just shake his head. Molly, nobody knows me. She's like, they will. They will. Just trust me. They're about to. That's right. Well, that's what she did. And she liked throwing these parties. I mean, she was known for her parties. They they would clear out the room so she could set up the tables. And um, she threw a lot of dessert parties, which sounds lovely to me. You know, why go for the meal? Let's just go for dessert. Well, it was easier, too. Like, she'd start the party at 7, and then they'd have uh, white cake and strawberries and tea and then... And conversation. After which, by the way, all these parties, the neighbors loved this because they would get all the party food after. (laughs) My parents had parties between Christmas and New Year's for the entire symphony because symphony players often have to work on holidays because, you know, your grand messiahs or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. need to be played around the Christmas time. So they would have this great party. And honestly, the kids would be eating party food the whole rest of the week. And I am still fond of a port wine cheese ball. (laughs) I love a good port wine cheese ball. Although I don't know if I've had a bad port wine cheese ball. In fondue, I'm telling you what. Fondue. You heated that back up? Yeah. Oh. You just got to keep stirring and go slow. I should put my fondue recipe up too. Oh, my goodness. You're getting really ambitious here. Okay. Handed down from the 70s. From the 70s to you. (laughs) To me. Our favorite listeners. Okay. (laughs) Um, I mean, she was a great hostess, but sometimes she did make a little bit of a misstep. Um, The Republican National Committee had come to town to tell Mr. Lincoln that he was the nominee. She made a slight misstep and served brandy and champagne which was not uh, the thing that was done in that particular circle. But even with that, um, they both were able to smooth it out. She just got it off the table. Um, and they, she was left with a positive review that said she was amiable, accomplished, gracious, and a sparkling talker. Yeah. 
I know. And just remember that later on. Well, so Abe was elected to Congress in 1846, much to the great and absolute thrill of Mary. Now, there seems to be some sort of a rotating deal between a few guys, which seems shady. But what do I know? One guy would have it, then the next guy, then the next. I don't know. But Mary and the kids went along to Washington, which was very unusual. At least it was unusual for wives to end up boarding um, at Mrs. Spriggs' boarding house, sort of the frat house for Whig congressmen, I guess, about 200 feet from the Capitol building. Yeah, I'm Um, sure he got a lot of ribbing, you know. Wait, you brought your wife and kids? What? Well, others brought their wife and kids, but they would take nice houses in a better part of town and not be... I mean, she wanted to be in the thick of things, and she sure was, but maybe not the way she thought. Her political input had to dwindle now to rolling her eyes at the common dinner table and irritating men by disagreeing with them at all. So, unfortunately, that's where we are now. We're in Washington, and the men think they know. You know, it's mansplain land. Yeah, and they're not expecting women to speak up at all. And, you know, she liked to sit in the gallery at the House of Representatives To hear Mm -hmm. her husband speak. That was thrilling, by the way. Oh, yeah. Um, Occasionally, she could get the servants at the boarding house to watch the boys so she could go visiting. There were a few women she knew in town, so that was good. She wasn't all alone. Or Mm -hmm. she might go to the theater. But the thing is, Abraham and his political cronies met in the evenings. They were very diligent, which is good. I mean, they weren't giving their work a lick and a promise. You know, Mm -hmm. it's real. But... Mary was just kind of shut out of any kind of a social life. She couldn't show up at a party without her husband in this society. And it was just not done with a capital N-D. And she couldn't have anybody back to basically like their bedroom at the boarding house. <laughs> she couldn't, she couldn't, couldn't entertain anyone else outside of that room. No. And Robert yeah. was four. He was kind of bored. And Edward was sick. And so she went back to Lexington for a while and then back to Springfield. Where, I'm sorry to say, without his advisor, might I also add, Mr. Lincoln makes a series of political missteps. His political career kind of seems over for a while. And you might think that Mary would have quite a bit to say about her disappointment about this, except for the dreadful fact that little Eddie died, age three. Well, she was inconsolable and could not go to his funeral. It was a tough time in other ways, too. Mary made quite a few enemies. Is that the what I mean? Maybe I don't mean like antagonists I mm-hmm. think is what I more mean by taking political things personally. Like Abraham was more like that's showbiz and she's more like F showbiz and the horse it rode in on. <laughs> she just, like couldn't let things go. She couldn't or file them away. Like any criticism made her so angry. Any criticism of her or any criticism of her husband, who was an extension of her, as far as her ambition was concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, here's how I'm looking at her. Okay, here's how okay. I'm at this. If anyone has ever had a three-year-old who insists that they can tie their own shoes, but they kind of can't, and you're in a hurry, you just want to reach in there and do the thing. You just want to do it. But they don't want you to. And if you do it, there's going to be repercussions, even though you can do it better. So you take deep breaths, and you just try to wait for the person, the people, political or toddler to figure it out on their own, even though you can do it better. I think that's the feeling she carried through the rest of her whole life. You're probably right. I, You know what I loved about her the most was that she had just such a depth of character. You know, you could at the same time admire her and go, oh my gosh, I can't believe you did that. You know, at the same, she was just all over the place. Well, one of the books I read called her the smartest, least regarded person in any room. Mm -hmm. So what shall I say? Educated for frustration. If there's no arena for her, if she could have just pursued her own ambitions for herself, I think she could have felt such satisfaction, but she had to always do everything by proxy. Right. While she could. Yeah, while she could. Well, and and going back to her independence, they they expanded their house and she oversaw everything. You know, the the plans, the the finances, the dual master bedrooms. Oh my gosh. People say they had separate bedrooms, but you know what? That's the norm. Mhm. Yeah, it had nothing to do with marital relations because, you know, she was pregnant again very quickly. Yes, her third son, Willie, was born when she was 32, and let's just, you know, 
for convenience, let's just toss her fourth and final son in here too. Although he was three years later in 1853, um, his name's Tad. So Willie and Tad are somewhat in the picture during this next period of her life. His actual name was Thomas, um, but they called him Tad and it wasn't a nickname for Thomas, but it was because his head was so big that they called him Tadpole and the Tad part is what stuck. You say (laughs) Tad Lincoln and you know what we're talking about. I love that. It's like Skeeter feeling from the help. (laughs) <laughs> they said, that ain't a baby, that's a skater. <laughs> she was so long and thin with a spindly legs. Yeah. Okay, anyway, um, so here's what she can do. While she's fixing the house, which is practically doubled in size, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, he's back out on the circuit, kind of retrenching his ideas and his mind for, from his missteps. She began a letter-writing campaign, kind of keeping Abraham's name out there with the people that matter. And she was also a big part of his career here, too. He was offered a job in Oregon, a big job. Uh, But, you know, you can look at the map and Oregon is a long (laughs) way from Washington, D.C., which is where you want to go. And so she was regarded as the architect of him turning that job down. Well, it's also far from Springfield. You know, it's one thing to have your husband traveling around, you know, within a few days, a couple days trip, but Oregon from Springfield, that's huge. Well, you don't think they would have gone? I mean, it's like a permanent position. Oh, you think they would have gone? Oh, all right. Scratch what I just said. (laughs) Well, I'm just thinking like, not only are you taking Abraham out of the circle of influence, because you know, like most people say, it's almost like things happen on the golf course. And of course they don't now here on the golf course, but things might happen on the street or at the boarding house or like chance encounters are kind of what makes a career a lot of times. And if you go to Oregon, there's, (laughs) and it's a whole new pool of people, at least where you are, you know, the players. Yeah. And in Oregon, what are their bears? I mean, there's not a whole lot going on (laughs) politically. So, I mean, it would have been a great adventure, but it wasn't the right one, maybe. But Abraham Lincoln, speaking of new adventures, was a member of the brand new, brand new Republican Party. And he had the chance to run for a Senate seat against one of Mary's old beaus, Stephen Douglas. (laughs) I love that. Um, So here's a, you know, six foot, what is it? Eight? Four. Six foot four. And Stephen Douglas is practically like my height, although, you know, maybe a little taller. He was around five foot four guy. Famous series of debates. We'll link you to coverage of these if you want to know more about them. But seven debates all over Illinois, basically about slavery and its future in the United States. Though he didn't win by a narrow margin, 54-46. Abraham was back. His name was out there. His speeches, well regarded. And this unfortunately, is where we first see Mary not taking this as good news, but taking this defeat very hard and comforting herself with shopping trips to make up for bad feelings. It's currently called compulsive buying disorder or oniomania. Oh, there's a real name for it. It really is. O-N-I-O mania. Not retail therapy. Yeah. Well, there was a prize in the air, an un- Believable turn of events, kind of. Abraham got the Republican nomination for president of the United States in 1860, even though he'd been a long shot. And the traffic of guests and journalists and looky-loos through their house became a torrent. Everyone who didn't know her was surprised at how well-informed she was. They called her vivacious and accomplished and delightful. Okay, I can see the ego inflating, Mary, but you want to be careful. I know you have not yet seen the West Wing, but the press corps is not always your friend. No. So it was considered very crass to campaign in public. What a refreshing difference from the political climate of today. Oh my gosh, yes. I'm I'm just slogging through this political season. I know. It's tough. Oh, it's so painful. Well, Abraham and Mary kind of wrung their hands and wrote to influencers and prayed. There was an actual staff now of advisors nudging Mary out of her place as chief strategist. That's kind of a bummer. But on November 6th, 1860, Abraham Lincoln was elected the president of the United States with less than 40% of the vote. How is that possible, you say? Well, at the time, there were four candidates. There's a Republican There's a constitutional unionist, and then there's two Democrats, one from the North and one from the South. 
If that is not the canary in the coal mine right there, I don't know what is. Two Democrats, one from the North and one from the South. Now, was it the split vote? Yes, probably. But it doesn't matter. Mary, we're elected, he said. He ran down the street screaming, Mary, we, we are elected. He recognized her contributions in the moment and his joy. And that's where we're going to have to leave Mary right now, right on the brink of going to Washington and becoming First Lady. And we'll talk about that in our next episode. Part two of Mary Todd Lincoln. You're in fear.